Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. We frequently speak with parents about their experience of having a baby in the NICU. Today, we get the incredible opportunity to speak with a former preemie coming into the world at just one pound, four ounces, at a time when a premature baby his size had a very small chance of survival. Khalil Munir did survive and thrive after an extended stay in the NICU. Today, Khalil is a noted theater artist, choreographer, and arts educator. He conceived and stars in the autobiographical stage production, One Pound, Four Ounces, combining dance, hip-hop, percussion, and monologue to convey a raw yet inspirational series of vignettes from his complicated childhood. The show has been mounted at Freedom Theater, the First Person Arts Festival, the Suzanne Roberts Theater, and through an ongoing residency at the National Museum of American Jewish History. This production is the inspiration for the documentary, What's in a Name, which highlights self-determination and intergenerational healing among Black men. He is co-producing and co-writing the film. Khalil has been cast in numerous stage and screen productions as an actor and dancer, including Carl Dice Rawls' The Last Jimmy. He has served on the faculty at Philadelphia's Historic Freedom Theater, Delaware Valley Friends School, and Temple University, and he has helped train educators who work with students with learning disabilities. Khalil graduated from Adelphi University and is originally from South Philadelphia. I am so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you for coming to speak with us and to share your story, Khalil. No problem. It's an honor, uh, honor to be here. It's a great, great honor to be here. You have to tell us about your personal story and your early start in life. Yeah. So um, in the beginning, my mother never shared the story with me, um, and I didn't really learn my beginnings until I was... 19 years old. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> so I had an opportunity to write a a paper in college, or I could perform a piece of work. So I decided to create um, a show. And the show started out as a 15-minute excerpt. But in order to get the information for the show, I had to go interview my parents. So that's when I went back and I actually interviewed um my mother and my father, and going back to talk with my mom, that's when I really found out my birth weight and um, the story and the journey. So I am what you call a codeine and pill baby. Mm -hmm. So um, my mother was dealing with her addiction, and um, she didn't know that she was pregnant with me until about, um, I think, the fourth month. Uh, so she was still using and still um, dealing with her addiction at the time. So uh, when I was born, you know, I, I came into the world at, at one pound, four ounces. And um, my mother was away dealing with her addiction. So I would bounce around from home to home. So um, the first person that I went to was my Aunt Felicia's house where um, I slept in a drawer. Wow. Because I was too small to fit in a crib. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't want to put me in a crib and have the pillow smother me. Um, so they, they, they made up a nice little drawer um, and then they, they put me in the drawer. And then from my Aunt Felicia's house, I went to um, my Aunt Tati's house. And there is where like the issues started to really increase. So um, at the time she was working for WDAS and she used to tell me this story all the time. She used to say, I almost lost my job because of you. Because she would be rushing me back and forth in and out of the hospital. Um, You know, my heart would stop at night. Mm -hmm. Um, I had breathing complications. So back and forth, she would take me. I had a hernia. Um, so she would take me back and forth to the hospital. So, um, once I started to heal and progress, I moved to my grandmother's house, my father's mother, my nanny. So, um, I got there and, um, we were living there in, in my, in my grandmother's, um, apartment. It was a, a one bedroom apartment and with my two sisters and my, and my grandmother. And, um, I made one more stop down the street <laughs> to um, my sister's grandmother's house, uh, Miss Ethel. And then at, by the age of 11 um, is when I, I uh, actually reunited with my mother. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story with us. You have overcome quite a bit in in your time and through all of that. And I know one of the areas that you talk about quite a bit is how you had learned differently and learned that you had dyslexia. And I would I wanted to ask you when you realized during your school age years that you were learning differently and you had that challenge. So I never knew um, until I was diagnosed. So bef- before the diagnosis, um, it was a struggle. Um, but thank God, um, I actually failed second grade. I failed second grade at Child's Elementary School and they put me in the LD class. At the time, it was called the LD class, the learning disabilities class. Um, and it was a huge stigma around being in this class. Mm-hmm. So once you're put in the LD class, as a child, you feel like you're ostracized from the other, the, uh, the other kids in the community. And the kids in the community are very mean to these children. So they tease them, they call them names. Um, I'm going to speak from the eye perspective. They called me names. They teased mm-hmm. me. Um, but once I got into Miss Sugar's class, Miss Jean Sugar's is her name, um, things started to change. You know, I had, I had more attention focused on me. I still didn't know I was dyslexic. Um, so I'm still feeling less than um, while I'm in this class. But while I was there, there was another teacher. Well, she wasn't a teacher. She was a um, a volunteer. Her name was Vicki Levingston. And at the time, her husband, Don Levingston, worked at Cigna. And Cigna was the big buddy of child school. Mm-hmm. So Ms. Sugars would always say, why don't you take any of my kids? We're special as well. Um, so they took me and they started to like put me in like the gifted classes and things of that nature. But a piece of paper changed my life. So they had the oratorical contest, and Miss um, Sugars put me in the oratorical contest, and I won the oratorical contest. From winning the contest, they got me involved into Freedom Theater when I was 11 years old. Um, 
so throughout that whole process, I was really working closely with Miss Miss Levingston and Miss Sugars, and they knew that I learned differently, but they quite didn't understand what was going on. Um, so when I was fourteen, the they got me tested, and uh, once they got me tested, tested, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, a huge weight lifted. It felt like it lifted off my chest, off my shoulders, off my entire body, because before then I really thought that I was less than. I, I couldn't put my I couldn't put my finger on it. But having the diagnosis, it lets you know that yes, you learn differently, and this is the reasons why. So once I found out the reason why, I felt like I could definitely move forward and learn how to deal with uh, the disability. I, I want to go back here a minute because I do think what you were talking about, about just recognizing and feeling less than yes. and feeling like you you didn't know why you were learning differently. I can imagine so many kids. And, you know, I even look at our own daughter who was born at 23 weeks. She was a pound two. Uh, so right, right around the same range. And She's a miracle, by the way. She, <laughs> <laughs> yes, just like you, just like you. Uh, but that feeling that kids have of not understanding yeah. why they're learning differently and and how that makes them feel inside. And how did you get through that? I mean, do you remember what, at that time how you kind of navigated through that? Well, it was tough in the beginning. Um, I was I was violent. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't I didn't have any any other skill set to deal with um, that that trauma. Um, and I was also dealing with my home life wasn't the best. You know, before I lived with my mother, you know, my cousin was in the house. He was selling drugs. Um, you know, we would wake up to, um, I would see crack scales. Mm -hmm. we would, I was playing with the guns. Um, I got shot at 11 years old. Wow. So um, that was a lot of trauma to be able to navigate at such a young age. And then on top of that, you're dealing with school and you have a disability that you have no idea what it is. So if you're, you're, it's like a, it's a storm. It's mm -hmm. like a perfect storm, really. Um, and I would say I, I really navigated it with the help of the educators that was in my life. Uh, Ms. Sugars was a huge help. Um, I look at what she did as a teacher and she went above and beyond. She didn't have to come to my house. She didn't have to check on me. Once I got enrolled in Freedom Theater, she didn't have to pick me up and drop me off. Um, she didn't have to do those things. Um, but she was very hands-on. And um, with the combination of the support of my mother, they worked in tandem. Because I look at it now and I say, my mother could have been a parent who had the position that said, this is my son, leave him alone. Mm -hmm. um, we're okay and we can do for ourselves. But that wasn't the case. Um, she put her ego aside and said, whatever you guys can do for Khalil, you do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm on board 100%. And so that diagnosis of dyslexia really helped to set the stage then to get a plan for your learning and Definitely. figure out what that path forward is. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what dyslexia actually is. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand exactly what that means? Sure, sure. Um, dyslexia is a learning difference where an individual may have trouble with reading 
with writing, um, with spelling, um, and there's various levels of dyslexia. Um, my dyslexia shows up um, with my reading and my spelling. Um, however, being at school, at Delaware Valley Friends School, it definitely helped me learn how to navigate those weaknesses. Now, I'm 39 years old, um, and I still have those weaknesses. They're not as weak as they were when I was a child, but they're, they're still there. It doesn't go away. You just learn how to um, actually navigate it better as an adult if you're put in a position to be able to get those tools and be able to learn how to deal with it. Yeah. And and it is, I, I do feel like it's so important, those educators in the kids' lives, the the family identifying, being able to work together to establish a plan Definitely. to help is just key and as, as as early as possible, right? You know, that's keeping... that's the that's the key. Early intervention is definitely the key. Like I was diagnosed at 14. I can only imagine if I was diagnosed at like six. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had the resources from six up until what my life would have been different from six years old. You know, where I come from, we didn't have those resources. And also, a lot of times parents, they don't know that those resources are available to them. Yes, that's a that's a big one that we talk about quite a bit and and trying to be able to help provide the resources to families. You know, through today is a good day. We work with NICU families, but identifying those resources is difficult and to find what is out there to help through early intervention and and extra services and and all kinds of support that is available. It's just a matter of finding it. Definitely. Now your story I, I love and I and I have to say, so you've written a children's book. Yes. I have read it. But I want you to tell us a little bit about the children's book and what inspired you to write it. So um what really inspired me to write the the, the children's book, the, the title is The Crown is Yours. And I have a five-year-old, a five-and-a-half-year-old son. His name is Kaori Daymanir. He's my world. And um, looking at him, I just wanted him to see himself in literature. Um, And I wanted him to see, you know, a protagonist as a a little brown boy in literature. So I, I wanted to write the book. And then as well, I wanted to shine light on... Um, hidden disabilities and dyslexia and and my story. Um, I wanted to be able to share my story with the world. And I, I just think the quote that's in there is so important to me. Uh, Malik's mother tells him every day, baby, your crown is yours. You just have to have the courage to wear it. And when children really gain that courage of of overcoming or just standing in their power, the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. They can do any and everything. And I just wanted children to see that with with the right guidance and the right courage, you're, you're able to do anything. The sky is the limit. I, I love what you wrote about wearing your crown and, and standing and who you are and, and moving forward. And one page of the book with the crown in the mirror, uh, it's just, it's a really... Great story that you've shared for sure uh, about your life, but also how you how you have overcome so much. And it, when you look at what you've been able to do and showing as you shared the little brown boy as a protagonist, what what do you feel is that biggest impact that you've been able to make on others through not only writing your children's book, but through your performance and your one pound, four ounces show that I, I definitely want you to talk about as well. What's that impact you've been able to make? 
I believe they get to see themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been at the museum for the last six years. Um, COVID took, you know, put a halt in that and we haven't performed at the museum this year. Um, but prior to that, the children who were able to see the show, that was the first time they actually saw um, an actual play for the first time. And then seeing this play, they saw a person that looked like them on stage that come from the same neighborhood or neighborhoods that they come from. So um, I think the impact was just really being able to see themselves and then seeing a possibility. Um, I had um, a teacher come up to me years later after seeing the show and she said, one of my students had the toughest time in my class, but after seeing your show, he turned around, he changed for the better. And that right there, it made my day because that's what it's about. It's about the possibility. Um, I know I'm not gonna aff affect you know the world, but if I, can, if I can change one heart, then I think I did my job. Absolutely. And I have to personally share one of my favorite pages in the book. I'm going to read a little <laughs> excerpt here, but it it may have brought tears to my eyes when I was reading it to our daughters. And as we've shared, we have a 23-weeker surviving twin. She was 15 ounces at her lowest weight. She's wow. overcome quite a bit. And she also has some learning differences that we're navigating through at this time with her. But this one page in particular that stood out to me was right when you were getting tested. And yes. It says, two days later, Malik gets tested. Malik is diagnosed with dyslexia. He walks out of the doctor's office confused and asks, what's dyslexia, mama? It's your superpower, baby. You just have to learn how to use it. Yes. And what would you say are the ways that you have used that superpower the best? Uh, that's a great question. Really embracing it and really flipping it on his head and not looking at it as my disability and I'm not coming from a place of lack. I'm definitely coming from a place of power because I look at the way I operate, the way I move in the world, the way I feel, the way I think, the way I empathize. It's because I'm dyslexic. It's because I, I think differently. I, I have to approach situations differently because of my dyslexia. And I look at that as a superpower. It's a strength. It's it's not a weakness. Um, and I may have weak moments, but it's not a weakness. Um, and the power that I carry will definitely outweigh those weak moments. With your with your book that you have, um, I do have to ask you, where can people get it if they want to look yes, for it? Yes, yes. You can get it on crownisyours.com. Um, you can order your book books there, um, as well as the National Jewish Museum. They have it on their website, and you can order it there as well. And I also wanted to ask you about your show yes. that you created, where you truly share your story. Yes. And hearing from you today, I'm, I'm just so grateful our paths crossed. Definitely. And to hear a former preemie, a NICU miracle, as yes. we like to call them, yes. through today is a good day, um, who has survived so much and accomplished so much, sharing your story in this way. Tell us a little bit about your show. So the show is called One Pound, Four Ounces, and I... I'm an actor as well as a tap dancer, and I wanted to be able to 
combine those disciplines to be able to to share my story. I think it's a very um, creative way of doing it. And it started in college. And um, two reasons. One was once I once I graduated, um, I, I lived in New York. I I went to L.A. Um, I did the New York and L.A. thing, and I just realized I didn't want my destiny in someone else's hands. So I I created my own door, and I and I walked through it. And um, as a black man, and as an artist, and now as a father, I never wanted to subscribe to the idea of being a struggling artist. So. I looked at what way could I be able to create something, have it, ownership of it, and then be able to put it out to the world. And I said, well, I have a very interesting story. How can I do and, and put it in a very creative package? So it talks about you know um, me being one pound, four ounces. It, that's like, people are like, what is, what is that? And then when I tell them, oh, I was a preemie. You know, I, I was one pound, four ounces. And it talks about my mother's drug addiction. It talks about my father's incarceration. It talks about me being shot at a young age. Um, and then it goes on to talk about, you know, how I found love with the arts. Um, and then finding my, and then teaching myself how to tap dance. I'm a self-taught tap wow. dancer. Wow. Um, and then, you know, falling in love, having a child. So it comes full circle with with my son's my son's birth. So it starts at my birth and then it ends with my son's birth. That's amazing. And what I heard you say earlier is, if I'm able to impact one person and make a difference in their life, well, I have no doubt, Khalil, you have impacted so many I hope. people I hope. and made a difference in their life. So thank you very much for being here with us today, for sharing your story, for sharing the importance of using your superpower. Yes. And I think that I think about parents who might be listening and thinking, how can I help my child to feel more confident to know that they have this superpower with a learning difference they might have? Yes. And to hear your story today, it's it's wonderful. Give us your contact info. Where can people reach out to you to learn more about your show, when where it will be available, and perhaps booking it? That's great. Uh, so... You can reach out to me at Khalil, that's K-H-A-L-I-L-A-M-R, Munir, M-U-N-I-R, at yahoo.com uh, for more information in regards to the show and bookings. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.